Good morning. So glad you're with us this morning. My name is Drew Klein. I'm one of the pastors here at South City. And it's our privilege that you're with us. So thanks for coming and being with us. Hey, listen, this is a little side note. Uh, when we're worshiping, don't be afraid that you're going to, you know, drown out the, the stage. Just this, just a little, this won't cost you anything. This is a little second, secondary note. Feel free to sing as loud as you can, okay? That's the kind of church we want to be. We want to be about passionate worship, and we've got to have volume when we do that. So sing out when we're singing, and let's worship together in a beautiful way. Thank you, team, for leading us this morning. Hey, I want to just say a side personal note of thank you, of thanks for... Um, Many of you know that it's been kind of a rough week for my family. My back has kind of been out. Um, and some of you are going, well, you look fine. It hurts right this very second, so just be praying for me as, I, as I'm preaching. Um, but it's been kind of a rough few days. Lori was in the hospital all day Friday uh, with some abdominal issues, and uh, so she's home resting today. It's been kind of a difficult, just kind of a difficult week, and we have some of those weeks. And many of you have been so kind and so loving to check on us and to bring us some some food and different things, and it's just been wonderful to be a part of this body. Well, we have been in this series called Counterfeit Faith, and uh, many of you know that this, uh, the month of February is Black History Month. We've done a few little things to kind of bring attention to that. This is the last Sunday of, of the month, of course. Um, and with history, you've, well, there's some things we need to know about history, right? There's some good things about history, but there's also some bad things about history, and so a lot of times with Black History Month, we, we bring a lot of attention to the, some of the good things and many of the accomplishments and, and the wonderful things that African Americans have brought to our country. And black history is American history. And so it's, it's a good thing to celebrate and be a part of. But there's also, for being honest, there's also an aspect of uh, American history and black history that is, that is not good. And it's important for us to remember all of it because it's all of our history and we need to learn from it. Amen. And so that's uh, something we want to talk about a little bit this morning to some degree based on the text that we're in in James. A few years ago, I had the privilege of going to um, the uh, Civil Rights Museum in Memphis. I don't know if you've been to that museum or not. It is fabulous. If you've never been there, it's only a couple hours away, I highly suggest you going to Memphis and seeing uh, the Civil Rights Museum. But make sure you take some tissue because it will wreck you. And uh, it is a, a beautiful exhibit in many different ways. But I found myself from the very first exhibit kind of walking through this museum. And I found myself growing in love and appreciation and compassion to my, my fellow men and women. And yet I also found myself growing in an increasing shame of some of the hatred and bigotry that's been caused by my own race. And so I was, I was struggling with this and wrestling with these feelings. And I'm walking through this museum and I come to this one exhibit. And I notice this exhibit and, and it kind of takes my breath away. Many of them had, but this one stopped me in, in my place. It was African-American men carrying sandwich boards in Memphis. And the sign said, I am a man. And I didn't know what it was referring to. I, I, nothing in my... Rolodex of my history classes brought back to me what this was about. And I just sat there wondering what in the world this is about. And I, of course, continued to read and, and, and research and, and try and learn in the exhibit. And, and turns out this was from the 1968 sanitation workers' strike. Uh, these men felt the need to, to put this statement on this board. 
in order to say to the superiors and those in authority, we are human beings. Treat us as human beings. And they were striking in nonviolent protests for better wages and better working conditions. And, and, and I just kept thinking to myself, what in the world would cause somebody to have to state such the obvious, right? Clearly these are men. Yet they felt the need to state the obvious because they weren't being treated as men. They weren't being treated as human beings even. And so they place on this sign, I, I've worked in marketing and branding and some different things in all of the work that I've done over the years. And so this one statement just kept bringing me back to look. I just kept looking at this statement. I am a man. And it broke my heart that anyone would have to state something so obvious for such a horrific reason. Now, ultimately, that was this event that caused Dr. Martin Luther King to come to Memphis to preach, uh, to speak, to march in a nonviolent way uh, for this sanitation strike in 68. And ultimately, sadly, this would be the event that would cause him to be in Memphis when he's assassinated on the balcony in downtown Memphis Hotel. And by the way, that Civil Rights Museum ends on that balcony. You walk out on that balcony, it's, uh, it takes your breath away to think about the significance of that moment in that place. I began to think about how often over the years, over the centuries, we have treated each other, different nationalities, different races, uh, prejudice, classism, racism, all these different things, how one group of people believes that they can be superior over another group of people. They can treat somebody else like they're better. It happens all the time, it's happened since the beginning of time, I'm guessing. It's happening to this day. And so while somebody thinks they're superior, the other group is struggling with persecution and feelings of hatred. And, and then also when they know deep in their soul, we're created just like you're created. We're created in the image of God. We are equal. Begin to think about the Jim Crow era and how devastating this was to so many people of color. How in our arrogance, somehow, we thought we could put signs up that said, certain people can be here and certain people can be there. It's tragic. How could anyone who calls himself a Christian be so prejudiced, be so blind to this type of uh, lifestyle, this type of treatment of anyone? I don't understand. And if I'm being honest, I've wept a lot this week. I look at these signs and I know this is part of our history. It breaks my heart. But here's the truth, friends. It hasn't stopped. It's still going on. There's many of our brothers and sisters that even sit in this room with us today that deal with prejudice and the brokenness of sin in this area. And I know that what has broken my heart and caused me to have compassion and even have anger this week in this area represents the heart of God. I know that based on his word. Dr. King said this as he sat in a Birmingham jail. He wrote this letter. And many to the churches, pastors, he writes, all segregation statutes are unjust 
because segregation distorts the soul and damages the personality. It gives the segregator a false sense of superiority and the segregated a false sense of inferiority. And I, I completely agree. He was right on. Well, what we're going to see this morning as we study in the book of James in chapter 2 is that this message from Pastor James could have been pulled from today's headlines. It's as relevant today for us in this moment, in this place, in this city, as it was for James to his people scattered throughout Judea. It's, it's, it's as relevant today. And so I pray that we would take this message and take it to heart and truly understand that prejudice, racism, favoritism, classism, it goes against everything that we ought to be about as believers. And we need to repent. And we need to ask God to open our hearts to his truth that we're one. So would you pray with me as we approach his word this morning? Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the privilege, Lord, to be together as the church, as the body of Christ, to lift you up, to praise your name, to thank you with all that we have, God, with all that we are. Lord, to, to, to sing together, to hear your word, to act upon it, to live differently because of it. God, that is a grace to us, and we thank you for that privilege today. Father, I pray that right now you would bless your word. God, that you would give me grace to speak it in a way that would honor you and honor this text, Lord, and that be a blessing to your people. God, that you'd open our hearts. Spirit of the living God, lead us to all truth, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, sadly, it was uh, diversity. <laughs> you remember we talked a few weeks ago about the fact that Paul says that diversity in the church is the mystery of the church. It's the mystery that Jews and Gentiles, Jews and Greeks, Jews and Gentiles would come together and be one, that they would be one in the church. It's this incredible mystery. And yet it's the diversity of the church added with the sin nature of man that causes some of these issues that we've been talking about already this morning. I want you to look with me in James chapter 2 as he addresses some of these issues. James chapter 2 verse 1, we're going to go through verse 4. It says, my brother, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing come, also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, here, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or you sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Now, you remember last week we finished up chapter 1, uh, 127 talked about the fact that true religion is to care for widows and orphans. We're getting just a little, little picture of God's heart for the marginalized, for the poor and the powerless, for people who can't do things necessarily all for themselves. They need help. They can never repay it in some ways. We begin to see this little ex example of God's heart and passion for these people. And James just naturally rolls out of that message right into this one. And again, he begins, you know, you can kind of tell when he's changing topics a little bit or changing direction a little bit, he begins to say brothers, right? He's, he's making my point clear in, in such a loving pastoral way. But he, he makes it so clear. 
right out of the chute, again, remember James did this in the first chapter, verse one. He's gonna let us know what his plan is, what he wants to talk about right at the beginning. Just in case you're wondering, this is where we're starting, this is what I'm, I'm talking about here. Show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. He's making it really clear. Hey, this is where I'm going. Show no partiality. If you hold the faith in Jesus Christ, if you call yourself a Christ follower, if you're, if you're a saved, if you know Jesus as your savior, show no partiality. It's real clear, right? He makes it so clear. But then he does something at the end of this is so interesting. He says, if you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Why would he add that little tiny title of Jesus there? Well, I believe it's because what he's saying is when we show partiality to somebody, we place them above another person, that's not where they belong. People don't belong on pedestals. Somebody once said that uh, the only thing that belongs on pedestals are, are flowers or the bust of a dead man, right? Not people. We shouldn't put people on pedestals. We should only lift up. We should only exalt Jesus. He is the Lord of glory. And when we have favoritism to someone else, we hold them up. And we should only hold up Jesus. But that's what we do when we show preference in that way over another human being. Jesus is the Lord of glory. He's the only one to be worshipped. Then he helps break it down in a really wonderful example. If you're wondering what I'm talking about in this partiality deal, this is it. Verse 2. If a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing, and you say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, oh, you, you just go stand over there, or sit down at my feet. James is talking about favoritism here, right? Favoritism is, is what happens when you show preference to one person, Prejudice is what you, it's a, sort of a good thing. It's sort of a, you're trying to bless somebody. You're trying to do a good thing. Prejudice is the thing you're doing to the other person. It's favoritism or prejudice. It's kind of two sides of the coin in this conversation. But favoritism comes from this, the Greek word literally means to receive the face. That's what it means. Favoritism, to receive the face. In other words, you're only, you're only concerned about external considerations like physical appearance or social status or race. You only want to receive what you can see. You don't receive the whole of a person, the soul of a person, all that God has created. You want to, only want to receive surface things. He's reminding his congregation about God's law in Deuteronomy. Look at Deuteronomy 10, verse 17. It says, for the Lord your God is God of gods, Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God. Sounds like he's saying he's the Lord of glory, doesn't it? Same thing. That's who he is. He is not partial and he takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow. He loves a sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Listen, James is saying, if the Lord of glory, the Lord of lords and the king of kings, if he shows no partiality, why would you? He's the only one that could. He's the only one worthy to show partiality, and yet he won't. He loves. He loves. He's helping us to set up this truth that God loves all people, right? That's, that's so important to us at South City. It's our vision statement. It's over the door back there. We exist. Our church exists to love God and all people. We capitalize the word all for a reason. 
so that when you say it, you say, oh, <laughs> you emphasize it. We want to make sure you understand it's important to us. We exist to love God and all people. How? By becoming authentic disciples who make disciples for the glory of God and the good of the city. That's how. We're going to love all people. Look what uh, Paul says in Galatians 3, 326. Remember this verse, okay, in this topic. Remember this verse. You might want to even go and underline this, highlight it, whatever the case may be. 326 says, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. If you've come to know Christ, you are now adopted as his sons and daughters through your faith. For as many of you were baptized into Christ, you've put on Christ. In other words, now your identity is in Christ. That's who you are. Every other identifier, every other cultural thing, every other thing that makes up who you are, it needs to be secondary to who you are in Christ. Verse 28, there is neither Jew nor Greek there is neither slave nor free. There is neither male or female. You are all one in Christ. He's saying even though there's diversity, we can't show partiality. We have to have unity. We're one. Our identity, who we are, is in the fact that I'm a believer in Jesus. I'm also a white male. It's secondary. It doesn't matter as much, Right? That's why we have to place the things that don't matter as much secondary, they're tertiary. But the thing that matters most is our identity in Jesus Christ. And that's the mystery where we can embrace one another in the unity of who we are in him. So James says in this example, he says to the, to the rich man, if you say, hey, you sit in a good place, while you say to the poor man, hey, you stand over there or you sit down at my feet. Even as I say that, honestly, do you feel that? You sit down at my feet. Do you feel that? I feel condescension. I feel belittling. I feel treating somebody as they're less important than me. Even just, even just to read this, I feel it coming off my tongue and it, and it breaks my heart. You sit at my feet. Mm. I, I uh, found something out this week as I was studying some of this. There was a season in the church, in the big C church, in the, in the Protestant Reformation, 1700s, where the church in England and in America began to sell seats in the church. You ever been to a, a really nice concert or ball game and, and you kind of look back and you're like, oh, how do you get in those boxes up there? You know what I'm talking about? They're sitting in Lazy Boys eating buffalo wings. I want to do that, you know? You ever seen that? It's very, very interesting and nice, right? They begin to do that in the church in the Protestant Reformation. They built these boxes, they called box seats. They built up walls. Some of them had fancy furniture. Some of them had fireplaces to make sure that the wealthy family that could purchase such a place would be warm. What? The old North Church, which is, what is that, in Philly, Philadelphia maybe? Where? Boston. Boston, thank you. Uh, that's where Paul Revere started his ride or ended his ride. You can tell I'm big on history. Uh, but it still stands today, and they still, it still has in that church some of these box seats that you can see. Where the church was selling these seats for preference to the people who could purchase them. There was a time in my life 
in this building, in Temple Church, where I've seen people look on the row that they normally sit in, and there's some people sitting in their pew and go, huh. And literally people get up out of their pew and leave so that this family can now sit in their third row or fourth. Like, what? I've seen that happen. It's the same spirit. It's the same attitude. This is mine and not yours. I am better and you are less. Look what James says in verse 4 about that kind of attitude. He says, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Look, I want you to pay attention to these three points in this verse, okay? These three really great points that I want you to pay attention to. Here's the first one. When we make distinctions, we categorize people. We begin to categorize people, just like they did in James. They're saying, uh, you're rich, you're poor, right? We do the same thing. We go, you're rich, you're poor, you're black, you're white, you're Latino. You're skinny, you're fat, you're cool, you're not. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's part of human nature. It's part of the sinful, fallen nature of men. We do this sometimes. We begin to place people in categories. But let me tell you the truth here. People only belong in one category, the Imago Dei category. They're created in the image of God. We are equal. I'm a father. I have a little girl with brown hair sitting back there. I got a little girl in the kids' area with blonde hair. Do you think I look at them differently because of the color of their hair? Parents, would you ever do such a thing? Of course not. You look at them and go, I love the fact that you have that blonde hair and you have that brown hair. and It makes you beautiful in unique ways. And yet we think God would be a respecter of persons somehow? He made us in his image equally. We are his. God forbid that we would make distinctions and categories of people. Would you forgive us, Lord? Because when we do that, here's the second thing we do. We become a judge. Judges sit above everyone, don't they? We need judges in the system. But when we become a judge, we place ourselves in the position of judges. We're saying we know better than everyone else. I'll tell you where to go right? You sit here, you sit over there. I'll be in charge. I matter more than you do. You need to hear what I have to say. Whether you say it and do those things or not, sometimes we think it and we act like judges. Well, I can't believe they're here wearing that today. I can't believe they think they can come sit in our area. I can't believe what's happening in my neighborhood. Friends, we can't place ourselves in the seat of judgment over other people. It's only the place for the Lord of glory. He says in the third point, we make distinctions, we become someone's judge, and it's all because we've allowed evil thoughts in our minds. That's what happens. This is where it starts. It starts here. We allow our minds to begin to think things that are not true of other people. And we let the world around us with the sin nature within us determine what we believe about people instead of the word of God. We are created in his image, and our identity is in who we are in Jesus. We continue in James chapter 2, verse 5. He says, listen, my beloved brothers. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? 
But you have dishonored the poor man and not the rich, uh, are not the rich the ones who oppose, oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? He's making some real distinctions here, <laughs> some things that we do, and he's also referencing his big brother's Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. He goes back and says, what does Jesus say? Jesus said it in Matthew 5, 3. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You see, the Bible, when it talks about the poor, it kind of, there's a couple of different ways the Bible explains the poor. One are people who are poor that have no means to care for themselves. They may not have enough money for food or clothing or physical needs. They are described in scripture as, as the poor. There are also a group of people called poor or the poor in spirit as Jesus refers to it, as James is referring to. These people who have a humility about who they are. They have a meekness about who they are. They don't approach God thinking that they've done anything or that they deserve anything. They come before the Lord knowing who they are. I know I'm a wretch. I know I'm broken. I know I've made mistakes. I know I need Jesus in my life. And it's in that poorness of spirit, that poverty of spirit, that God says, those are the people who will inherit the kingdom of God. He says, those who love him, right? He says, God has chosen who are the poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him. Do you know that God loves the poor? Did you know that? We say, yeah, I've heard that somewhere. The Bible speaks of God's love and care for the poor, wait for this, 2,000 times in Scripture. And over 2,000 times, the Bible speaks of God's love and care for the poor. Does he love the poor? So how could he love and care for the poor the way that he does, and yet we treat the poor the way we do? How could he care for the marginalized the way he does, and yet sometimes we treat them the way we do? Shouldn't be. James is referring to something here that I think is important to, to note. He, he says for those who love him, right, the poor, and inherit the kingdom of those who love him, he's kind of making a secondary distinction. He's saying just because you're poor doesn't mean you're going to go to heaven. Just because you're rich doesn't mean you're going to go to hell. Oh, that's, that's not a good qualifier, right? He's saying poor in spirit, those who love him, those who are rich in faith, have a faith in Jesus, those are the ones who will inherit the kingdom of God. So we have to kind of have an understanding of what he's meaning in that. He references uh, the rich. And I think when he's talking about this, this point here, he says, are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? And they're not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name for which you were called? I think when he, he's speaking about that specific verse, I think he's speaking to some specific issues. I think he's speaking to some specific things he's heard that are going on. You've got to remember, his people are being persecuted. His people are being persecuted. And part of that persecution is take advantage of the poor. Take the land from the poor. They're just a widow. We'll just take it from them. They're just orphans. We'll take it from them. And so he's speaking to the rich. He's speaking about these rich that are persecuting believers in this way. But he's also saying to us, sometimes we elevate people. We just really want people to get it. You know? 
Come on in. Oh, we're so glad you're here. Oh, he, this is mayor so-and-so. This is judge so-and-so. Let's put him up here. Let's, this, is, this person's famous. This person's wealthy. Whatever the case may be, sometimes we walk in this way. You know what I mean? We want people to get it. But the thing we have to understand is everybody won't get it. There will be people who reject the name of Jesus. James says, aren't they the ones who are blaspheming the name? What he's talking about here, you remember when Jesus said this in the Great Commission, he said, go and make disciples and baptize them in what? The name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He's saying that is the qualifier. When somebody comes to know Christ and they're baptized into this faith, they're baptized into that name. They're also identified with people in the church. He's saying they're the ones that are blaspheming the name and the people who are connected even to the church. James 2.8, if you really fulfill the royal law according to scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You're doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and you're convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. He's saying, listen, if you're living in the way that Christ has taught us to live, Christ has taught us to live in this way, to care for people the way we want them to care for us. And Jesus even ramped it up. Remember, he said, no, care for people the way I've cared for you. He even ramped it up. And love your enemies, right? James is saying, if you're living that way, then you're doing well. But when you act with prejudice, when you act with favoritism, you are acting in the opposite direction of the royal law. Isn't that interesting, that little phrase, the royal law? Theologians believe that he, what he's talking about is the fact that King Jesus gave us this law. We call it the golden rule. Do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. But they say, well, since King Jesus gave us this rule and he's talking about his kingdom, that's kind of why James may have called this the royal law. I think it's kind of cool. But he's saying if you're living the royal law, you're doing well. But if you're, being, you're showing preference, partiality, favoritism, racism, classism, you're treating people differently, it's the opposite direction of what God wants you to do and who he wants you to be. James is really clear on something here. He says, make no mistake, if you're living that way, if you're living in that opposite direction, you're treating people that way, you're committing sin. You're committing sin. I don't know about you, but sometimes I like to place sins on different, different levels. Do you do that? You do, trust me. We go, it's not that big of a deal. I didn't kill anybody. That's what we always say, right? I didn't kill anybody. And for whatever reason, we, we have these different levels in our minds. This is this kind of sin. This is just that kind of sin. This is that kind of, you know. James is saying, no. Sin is sin. If you break one little part of sin, you've broken the whole thing. Sin is sin. That's why we need Jesus, because we can't live and not break even the smallest part. We need Jesus. Kind of like uh, I saw, I heard an example of a plate, a plate of plate glass, big pane of plate glass, and you say, no, I just want to break out this little piece, right? This little, this little spot, I'm just going to draw a circle 
here and what's going to happen when you, right? You try to break out that little piece, the whole thing will break. That's the way it is with God's law. We do that all the time. What he's saying is, don't minimize sin. We do that a lot. Don't say, hey, this is not that big of a deal. This is just what I think about people. You'll be wrong. Because God's heart for people is love and equality. And when you minimize that sin, you say, it's not that big of a deal for me to be prejudiced. It's not that big of a deal for me to think I'm better. Oh, trust me, you are wrong. You're sitting in a place of judgment. But then he gives a warning, a really stern warning in verse 12. He says, so speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What he's saying is live this way. Know that the judgment is coming. You'll be held accountable for how you treat people. And listen, here's the trick. The judge is going to judge you based on how you judged other people. Right? If you knew that, would that change how you live? Would that change how you cared for people? If you knew that God himself, the great judge, would one day say, well, let's see. Let me go back and see how Drew treated people. Oh, Drew, I don't know. I'm going to have to judge you based on how you. That's what he's saying. God will judge us based on how we treat others. And so live in the law of liberty with mercy for others. If you don't, you'll be judged. It's the same thing Jesus said in Matthew 7, 1. It says, judge not that you be not judged for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. James here again is calling on Jesus and his wisdom and what he's already said. He's reiterating what Jesus has already spoken to us. And he finishes this section with this beautiful statement. It says, mercy triumphs over judgment. Isn't that beautiful? Mercy triumphs over judgment. He's saying, brothers, mercy's better. <laughs> you, you, you want mercy over judgment. Trust me. You're going to want mercy. You're not going to want judgment. If you, you, judgment is the thing where he's going to look at everything in your life and you're going to be treated fairly. God's love is not fair. Fair means look at everything you've done and, and pay you accordingly. I don't want that kind of judgment. I want mercy. I want God to look upon me and see Jesus and the fact that Jesus has taken that judgment for me. That's the mercy we need. For those of us that know Christ, we know that to be true, don't we? God has been so merciful in Jesus. Jesus. He says this in 2 Corinthians 8 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. So that so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. I just think this is so interesting. Here, we can have an attitude to the poor and forget as believers that Jesus himself came to this earth. He left heaven. He left the glory of the wonder of heaven to the poverty of this place, to the sickness of this place. He became poverty and poor for us so that we might be made rich. Friends, the, the irony in this whole deal, when we treat people with prejudice and favoritism, we're forgetting that we're the poor ones. 
We're the ones in need. That's us. And we place ourselves in superior place. This is what Jesus says to those people who've placed themselves above in a superior place. John writes in Revelation 3, 17, for you say I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. Ever heard that before? Ever felt that? Ever said that? When you do, you're not realizing that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. And Jesus says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich in white garments so that you may clothe yourselves and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Friends, do you know Jesus? Look right here. Do you know Jesus as your Savior? You've been trusting in what you've been able to do for yourself. You said, I hadn't killed anybody. Isn't that good enough? Jesus is saying, you think you've got it together. You think you've got enough of whatever it is you think it takes. He's saying, I'm pleading with you. Buy from me. Invest in me what is really true. Because when you don't know me, you're wretched. You're pitiful. You're poor. You're blind and you're naked. I want to give you Gold, refined in the fire. Same fire James has talked about in chapter one. He wants to give you clothes, to clothe your nakedness, to clothe your shame and give you eyes to see the truth. Friends, do you know Jesus? Have you trusted him? Are you relying on what you think you know? (laughs) Here James has given us another test as I close. Another really wonderful test in authentic versus counterfeit faith. If we treat others that are different than us with contempt, hate, prejudice, or disdain and call yourself a Christian, you might want to rethink that. Because that's not how Christians behave. That's not what Christians do. It's not how we treat people. And it doesn't show or represent the heart of God when we do. Christians love God. We love our neighbors as ourselves. We love our enemies. Not the neighbors we approve of. All neighbors. All people. Friend or foe. Because God loves all people. And we have to live by this royal law. Loving people the way we would want to be loved. Loving people the way Jesus has loved us and he's loved us with an everlasting, sacrificial, all-giving love I don't know what your history is in this conversation. But can I just tell you the truth here about these these things, prejudice, racism, classism. In the same way I would say, like pride is in all of us. It's a part of original sin. So is this. For you to sit here and go, oh, that's not me. I'm not prejudiced. I would say that's not true. I believe in all of us there is some aspect of racism, some aspect of favoritism, classism. It is part of our fallen condition. So we need to embrace the reality of the truth and say, God, would you help me to see it and repent for it? And we need to pray that God would do something in our country. Because we're in a sick, we're in a sick time. And somehow it seems like we've forgotten some of these things. And it blows my mind that the church, many people who call themselves connected to the church as Christians, 
could act in such a way that they would dishonor people and place themselves above when that place is clearly reserved for the Lord of glory. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes just for a moment? Maybe the Lord's speaking to your heart about something specific. Maybe he's speaking to your heart this morning about the fact that you need to know him as your Savior. I want to just let you know, we're going to sing a song, and there's going to be people um, up here at the front. I'll be up the front if you need somebody to talk to or pray with, or you may, may need to come to the altar and pray and ask the Lord to, to be with you, do whatever it is that you're thinking through, whatever it is he's raising in your heart and spirit. But may God show us the truth of who we are and help us to understand that in his mercy, we can grow to be who he wants us to be. And may God give us compassion for one another. May God give us love for people that are different than us. May God give us anger for treatment against people that are different than us and help us to be part of the solution and not part of the problem. Lord, may this church be a place that we're always showing love to all people. May the front row, God, be reserved for the homeless and the needy, God. May any place in this place be reserved for whoever wants to come. Regardless of where they are, regardless of what wrong they've committed, Lord, may they be welcome in this place to find the truth of who you are and who they can be in you. Lord, we worship you as the Lord of glory. No one should be in that place except you. And so we worship you there this morning. Thank you for your kindness and your goodness to us. Bless this time of worship as we pray in Jesus' name.